Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Good morning. It's morning for me. And I'm staring out at the Mediterranean still. I'm still at my family's home in Boliasco, or as Siri calls it, Buggy Lasco. Yeah, Siri has been quite entertaining over here in Europe. And I am in this room that is very live and crazy and bouncy. So if it sounds weird, that's why. It's a room with 12-foot ceilings, and so sound is going everywhere. I don't know what. But I've closed the doors and shut the cicadas out for right now. They're a little vigorous this morning, shall we say. It was so interesting because I woke up at about 6.30, and it was quiet. And I was like, wow, something's missing. Oh, yeah, right. Something huge and essential that is... Filling in all of the cracks. There will be no silence for the rest of the day. But I am going to continue with 1998 because along with finding a new home down in Charlotte, North Carolina for our big move away from Palisades and away from the entire history of my side of the family and into a new chapter with Dave's side of the family, We had to find new jobs and we had to find a new school for the kids. So I did a little research and I found that there were a bunch of Montessori schools in the greater Charlotte area. So I set up an interview with one that my sister-in-law said had a really good reputation because she had been casting around for schools for her daughter Maddie and eventually for her little guy Jake as well. So this school was called Charlotte Preparatory School, and it was located a reasonable short distance from our new neighborhood where our new house was going to be. So we thought, hey, that sounds like a great first fit. Why don't we try that one first? In the interview, I got to tour the school and everything looked great. The classrooms were really well equipped. There was a huge lunchroom where all the kids ate together and there was a large playground for plenty of outside time. So on the surface, the school looked like just what I was used to. All of the usual Montessori materials were available there, and I could see myself teaching there. The staff seemed really nice and welcoming, and they were like, oh yeah, you should definitely come and work here. That would be so fun. I guess I had done up my resume well, and I had a good recommendation from my director up in Tenafly, and so everything was in place for me to get a good job down in Charlotte. Even better, this school, the Charlotte Preparatory School, went up through sixth grade. 
So Savannah and Dakota could also go to school there if we thought that was a good idea. So they came with me the second day for another visit. And while they toured the classrooms and played on the playground, the director took me into her office. She offered me my own classroom of three to five-year-olds with the same salary as I was being paid in Tenafly, which was now up to $20,000 a year, which, yes, okay, not really a livable salary, but, you know, as we know, teachers are not valued as they should be. But she offered a bonus, which was that I could have free tuition for both of my kids, which amounted to, I think, another $16,000 or something like that. I said, wow, that was an exciting offer, and I just have to discuss it with my family. It turned out that the kids loved the school. And so we all agreed that this would be a good landing place for the three of us, at least. Savannah also decided that she would go back to her age-appropriate grade by repeating third grade. She had skipped first grade during the transition to public school so that she could be in the same grade as her best friend, Bree. But since that would not be a factor any longer, she decided that she didn't need the extra challenges in academic terms. And this would allow her to branch out and focus on some extracurricular activities that she had started to be involved in. Dave was eager for both kids to continue with soccer because they had started doing that in Palisades. And he found a league where they could play and he could coach. He had been an avid soccer player as a teen, long before soccer was really popular in the U.S., And he was so excited to have this sport start to really become more of a focus for American kids. He was thrilled that he could even have his own team to coach because he had been an assistant for Savannah's team in Palisades alongside this stout and vigorous Greek man named George. George had immediately seen that Savannah was a naturally gifted soccer player, and he urged her into a starring role on his team with loud exclamations of, Savannah, you are a superstar, from the sidelines. <laughs> it was probably this kind of shouting that later led that league to adopt the lollipop policy, which probably is a popular thing now, but it wasn't at the time which is that loud parents needed to be given lollipops so that they would suck on those instead of screaming from the sidelines and causing chaos on the field. In any case, back in Palisades, that had been our weekend activity. We had a weekend sports schedule because both kids had joined first little league teams and then soccer teams, you know, as we did back then. Dakota had kind of gone along with the program since dad and big sister had seemed so excited about it, but he was not really as focused on the game as they were. He liked the camaraderie of it and the community of it. I remember when he played Little League, they tried him out on different positions. So first he was on second base. And during this one game, we were watching him from the stands and he was staring at the ground really intently. And we were like, what is he doing? He's not paying attention at all to the game. He had completely tuned it out. And he's staring at the ground, and his head got lower and lower as he was looking at something that was going on around the base and underneath in the sand. And then he suddenly leapt up and stomped down hard. (laughs) And we realized he was looking at some kind of bug. It turned out to be a whole pile of ants and he was concerned that they were going to start climbing onto his sneakers and stuff so he was crushing them 
<laughs> it was very silly. And then one time they tried him out in the outfield, and he was standing way out there, and really, the outfield is so far removed from the game, how do you expect anybody to concentrate at all? So he was way out there, and suddenly he hears everybody screaming his name, Dakota! Dakota! And he's like, what's going on? He looks up, and a ball came flying at him, a huge pop-up hit that landed right in his glove, of all things. And he was like, oh, wow, baseball, fun. And they're like, throw it, throw it, throw it. <laughs> so he got a lucky out that time. They finally decided that his best position was catcher, which he loved because... He liked all of the extra special equipment, all of those pads and the big helmet and such. And so he stood behind the plate and felt like, yeah, this is my spot. I'm really good at this one. And it turned out that for one of his games, Bill Murray, yes, the actor, was the umpire. So he stood right behind Dakota. And somehow, I guess, Dakota had realized that this was something exciting, even though he didn't quite know who Bill Murray was, but everybody else seemed pretty excited about it. So I think he was a little distracted, and at one point, a burning pitch came in and smacked him right in the forehead because he wasn't looking, and he just went over like a rock, boom, onto his back, only to look up and see Bill Murray looking down at him. And so he started to sit up really quick, like, oh gosh, I did something wrong. And he fell back down. And Bill Murray's like, yeah, you might want to take a minute there. And he <laughs> called a timeout. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. And also on the sidelines one time when Savannah was playing Little League, I was on the sidelines with Dakota and his friend Anna, Anna Barishnikov, and she was so funny. She was like, what is this whole sports thing y'all are into? And we were trying to explain the game of baseball, and they had one of those tees on the sidelines for kids to practice a little bit, swinging at the level of where the ball might be coming in. So she said, well, well how do you do this whole thing? And I said, well, Anna, the really important thing is to keep your eye on the ball. And the next thing I know, there was a ball on the tee, and she was bringing her face closer and closer and closer so that she could put her eyeball onto the ball. <laughs> Kids are so literal, so silly. So there was a lot of sports emphasis when the kids were little and starting to branch out into extracurricular activities. And I wanted to balance this all out with something cultural, lest, you know, God forbid, the kids lose any influence from my side of the family at all. I'd never really been a big sports fan, and I'd never played on an organized team. If you don't call my math class softball league an organized team, which it wasn't really. It was a bunch of pot-smoking math nerds who were playing softball together just to get out into the sunshine. We also played Ultimate Frisbee long before that was a thing, but just because we all brought a Frisbee up onto this huge outdoor arena near us and we played Ultimate and that was super fun. We had a great time, but it was not organized in any way, shape or form. Frisbee didn't go on to be something until I was way out of high school. But my background was in the arts. 
And I wondered how to get my kids involved, especially in music. I've always loved singing, and as kids, we always sang a lot and learned songs to sing together. And I had played the guitar from an early age so that I could sing with it. You know, there are lots of episodes about my later singing groups, and you can listen to the one about Who's on Top and the one about The Off-Key Three. Those are back in the probably around episodes 90 or so. And my days of rock and roll, the interview with my friend Andy, who was the head of the Grinders. So you can hear some more about my music if you want to. But I thought my kids would be natural musicians too, and I wanted to encourage them in every possible way so that they would be well-balanced Renaissance children. At the Tenafly Montessori School, I had moved into the position of music teacher in my last year, and I went into each of the classrooms with various percussion instruments to teach the kids about rhythm, and I taught them simple songs and even taught them some rounds, and they loved it, and they sang, and Dakota along with them. But it turns out Dakota was fine singing with groups, and that was okay, but he wasn't really, he didn't want to sing by himself or sing along with the guitar or anything like that. Savannah had played the violin in her Montessori school because everyone else did, but she wasn't necessarily passionate about that either. So I thought perhaps it was piano that would inspire them and help to introduce a love of music. My mom was set to inherit my grandmother's beautiful Steinway grand piano, of all things. My mom didn't play piano herself, but that particular piano represented all of those wonderful holiday times spent singing carols and all of those sublime music soirees that my grandmother had hosted. So we didn't want that piano to pass out of the family. But mom already had a baby grand piano at her house too, because, you know, every house needs a piano after all. And that's how I convinced Dave that we should take mom's piano to Charlotte. The kids could take piano lessons and Dave could continue with his forays into songwriting, which I don't think I told this story actually yet, but one time when we were in the house on the weekend in Palisades, Dave was downstairs and he was playing this one guitar riff over and over, only he was getting one note wrong, at least according to me. I was upstairs and I was painting the guest room and I kept hearing this riff and I was like, oh my God, God, that's making me crazy. And finally, I screamed downstairs, no, it's a G. (laughs) And he was like, how do you know it's a G? I'm writing a song. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're playing La Bamba. And he was like, oh, wow, you're right. I'm playing La Bamba. Never mind. I'm not writing a song. But he did end up writing a bunch of guitar riffs, as you might have heard Andy tell you that he wrote um, a wonderful bass line that Andy, too, was like, what is that? That's nothing. But it turned out to be a really terrific song that they played to good acclaim with the grinders. So Dave enjoyed songwriting, and, and the piano would help him in that way. So in early June of 98, we started making plans to move down to Charlotte, and we started closing the various chapters of our Palisades life. The Montessori house, where I was teaching and where Dakota was just finishing up his kindergarten, always had a big celebration at the end of each year to honor that graduating kindergarten. And this year, I was to be the organizer, and it was going to be a big music-filled extravaganza. 
I spent weeks rehearsing with the older kids and they were excited to share all their stories and songs with their families and friends. It was an adorable event with the exception of the one terrified boy who peed on himself right in front of everyone as he was facing the crowd because he just suddenly saw all of these faces looking at him and he freaked out. But he continued singing and just this big wet spot spread down the front of his pants, poor little boo-boo. My colleague Susan gently covered him up with a shawl that she was wearing and she pulled him aside so that the festivities could continue. It just goes to show that no matter how well prepared we might think we can be for a big event, there are always last minute factors that can change the whole plan. Yeah, and there were those in our life as well. They'll be coming along in the next couple episodes. I'll see you then. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.